This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Teal Talk Radio, Season 7, Episode 37. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 37 of Teal Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton. And I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. Today, we're speaking with Dustin Hensley, librarian at Elizabethton High School in Elizabethton, Tennessee, and Veronica Watson, a learner at Elizabethton. If you listen to our other podcast, Shift Your Paradigm, Dustin spoke with us last year about his work at Elizabethton High School. He also appeared on an earlier season of TL Talk Radio to discuss the shifting role of school librarians in school transformation. Veronica is passionate about many things, including roller skating, educational equity, and computer science. She'll be attending East Tennessee State University beginning this coming fall as a Roan Scholar majoring in computer science. And today's topic, place-based learning. So welcome back to the podcast, Dustin, and welcome to you as well, Veronica. We're glad to have you here with us today. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. So Dustin, let's start the conversation with a personal story about how your work around place-based learning got started and how it's evolved. So I originally was not of the intention of being a teacher. Um, I went to college to be a historian. And my part-time job while in school was I was working at a middle school as an after-school program caretaker and learning all this history in my college classes and then working with the students after school, I was noticing how little they knew about their local area's history. And that was so concerning to me that they spend so much time in formal education and learning about the world's history and they knew so little about the history around them. And here in Northeast Tennessee, we have so much rich history and culture that our students were not being able to be exposed to. Um, They were in school um, surrounded by these walls in this almost fake reality and never getting to leave those walls to see what was really around them. So that really started making things tick. Um, Whenever I decided I wanted to be a teacher because I fell in love with working with students, um, that's something that always stayed in the back of my mind is how to I find a way that students learn uh, through our surrounding community. So one of the things that we've learned by doing so many of these podcasts around sort of niche topics like place-based education or project-based learning or student-centered learning, we have all this jargon and all this lingo. So at the top of the podcast here, Dustin, help frame for us what exactly is place-based learning and how does it fit into this idea of... um, student-centered learning, something that that focuses on students' interests. So talk to us a little bit about how are you framing this idea of place-based learning? Yeah, so my definition 
instruction is super short and simple. Uh, it's very easy to remember that way for me. Uh, learning through your surroundings. That's my super short definition there is that you're using your surroundings, whether that be the built environment, the natural environment, whatever, you're using that as a frame of reference for all of the learning that you're doing. So that's interdisciplinary. That's every subject that's all interconnected through what you have around you. And um, part of that is that those are skills that can apply no matter where you go. That here in this area, usually you grow up here and either you leave or you stay here, but people don't move into the area very often. Um, we, we generally have quite a bit of brain drain that happens that we lose a lot of our best and brightest, but we have a lot of people that stay here their whole life. Uh, but no matter what, we want people that are students and young people, our learners, we want them that no matter where they go, that they can take these skills that they learn through place-based learning and it can be um, beneficial to them wherever they end up. And part of um, my journey in using place-based learning was in a class that I taught for several years here at Elizabethan High School called Community Improvement, where I wanted our students to um, look at our surroundings and be solution-oriented. Naturally, in the age of social media, we're all complainers, but teenagers have difficulty being solutions-oriented <laughs> naturally. They are really good at saying, here's what's wrong with things. Um, but I wanted this class to be, okay, here's what's wrong with things, but how do we develop solutions to make things better? Um, if this is our community, that if this is where we want to belong, then how do we act as change makers to make it better? So through this class, we would begin the class by saying, okay, what are, what's an issue you see in the community? All right, all right you've found your uh, issue. So now let's create a solution to that. And part of the process in the class was that once they developed their solution, I asked them to go on the state standards website, which uh, all educators know is a terrible, awful thing that we don't like. But I asked them to go to the state standards website and write down all of the standards they were hitting in their project uh, because there was this outside interpretation of the class. It was just like kids getting to run around do whatever they wanted to. Uh, there was a lot of misunderstanding of what was happening. So I was like, all right, we're going to show all the doubters that you can still learn this way, that you can frame what, frame learning through this uh, lens of doing things for the community, and it's still deep, rich learning. So the kids, like, I would show them the standards website for the state of Tennessee, and here's how you go to the English section and the math section and all of that. And um, I, that was their least favorite part of the class, I'm pretty sure. Um, and I told them that's a teacher's least favorite part of making a lesson as well, is going through the state standards. Um, especially here in Tennessee, our standards are very, very um, particular. Most of our classes have around 100 standards. <laughs> so they were doing a whole lot of digging and researching just so we could say, hey, here's all the things that we're doing. This is all the way, all the things that, all the ways we're interconnecting our projects to our community and showing that we can still learn this way. I'll, I'll never forget we had a parent speak at a school board meeting about my class. And he said that these kids are just going out and picking up trash. They're not doing any real learning. So a huge misinterpretation of what was actually happening because the students weren't just picking up trash. They were on a walking trail and they were um, researching which spots had the most litter and they were organizing litter pickups based on the research they were getting, and they were working with a community organization 
on how to prevent litter in those areas that had the most traffic happening. So they were doing a lot more work than just picking up trash on the sidewalk. Uh, they were trying to beautify the community um, and encourage our natural environment and um, how to stop litter. Like they were doing a lot of work inside of that, but just outside appearance was, these are just kids picking up trash, um, which I'm all for picking up trash. Uh, someone has to do it, but there was so much more to it than just that, that these were kids that were learning so much about their community that they were learning um, like sociology skills just by figuring out um, why do people litter in these certain spots? Um, like the psychology of why are these spots that might be more difficult to see places that people would drop their trash whenever they're walking on these trails? Um, where's the best locations for trash cans? And what's the best kind of trash can to buy because we have bears in this area. So how do we get a bear proof trash can so they're not coming to those area parts of the trail uh, bears come to that part of the trail. So there's so much that went into it that I love seeing kids have to go through that process of learning. Um, so not just learning for learning's sake and learning all these awesome skills and dispositions and such and competencies, but also learning through our environment here in Northeast Tennessee. So if I was a student in your class, I would love being there, not only because I think you're a fun person and you probably make learning a lot of fun, but as Veronica shakes her head, it's all built around agency and personalization. So I have a lot, I would have a lot of control over how I get to that end goal. And then I also get to pick the end goal about something that's meaningful to me and my community. So to me, it would be a lot more engaging than just sitting in a classroom, taking lecture notes, and then moving on to the next test and the next unit, something really relevant. And I have a lot of control over it. Plus, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and something that I loved was that I never had to give someone a project, that there was always something that they found that they thought that could be fi not fixed or bettered or that they just cared enough about they wanted to try to do something for it. Uh, it might take them a, a week or two to figure out what that thing might be. Uh, they might need some encouragement here and there, but I never had to say, okay, here is what you're working on. Um, which is why I became a school librarian in the first place, is that I could never consciously tell a person, you must learn this right now. Um, I want people to learn what they want to learn about when they want to learn about it. Um, it's all about the cultivating that self-interest. Veronica, let's shift over to you. Talk to us about some of your experiences uh, with place-based learning and, you know, why, why was this opportunity important to you? Absolutely. So, um, I've been a kid growing up in the Tennessee school system my whole life. I just now graduated high school. So I've had a lot of- Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I have a lot of experience inside the classroom. And I was very fortunate for my first few years being pre-K through third grade to be able to go to one of the private schools in our area. Um, this allowed for smaller class sizes and more field trips. So with this being my first educational experience, um, it was really interesting because in my science class, we would go to Bayes Mountain or in my English class, we would go to see a play whenever there was happening at a local theater. And I mean, we had probably a field trip a month at least, if not every couple weeks. So it was really interesting to get out and learn that way at such a young age. But then I, due to some um, reasons, I had to switch to public school for fourth and fifth grade. And that's when I kind of noticed that it's not always like that. 
that a lot of the times the more traditional schools tend to be in really cindery block buildings and maybe it's a field trip a year and my fourth grade year my field trip was to a local theme park it, it wasn't even anything really educational but in that dichotomy i really grew to appreciate learning and going out of the school to have those experiences and i missed it when i reached fourth in, in middle school because i didn't get to do it very often so when i came to the high school and heard about this new program that started up called bartleby at the time um i was more than excited because it was an interesting way to do education and i have tried everything up until this point to make my education anything but boring i was in the gifted and talented program and I was trying everything, doing stuff outside of school, but it wasn't enough until I got to high school and I got to take the community improvement class. I mean, I had a freshman experience class and thankfully my teacher was like, I, I every time I would want in her class, I would go to the community improvement class because I'd want to sit in because I'd want to learn what it is. I'd want to build the connections um, and learn how to get involved to the point where my teacher just didn't even expect me in the community in the freshman experience class she's like what you're learning over there is far more important than what you're learning in here um so i got to hang out and learn and by my freshman year i was already in the community improvement class second semester um and it really just it's changed everything being able to start a project and have ideas um, i would volunteer over summer to go teach programming to kids fifth through 12th grade um, and I would go to the college every summer nine to three and teach and that's kind of how I really learned that I love coding and I love exposing kids to programming um, and I learned more teaching other people code that I barely knew than literally sitting through a dual enrollment programming class I learned so much more by helping others and being in the environment of that, that um, it was incredibly beneficial. So when I got into the community improvement and it was time to start my first official project, the first thing I wanted to do was go to my elementary schools and during their tech classes and teach them programming. Because that was another thing that I had noticed um, in my elementary school years was that computer classes were anything but learning how to use computers. Like every now and then you might learn how to make a Word document, but it was really just other educational supplements that you did on the computer, like typing or math problems or games. And there was so much more to be done. Like third through fifth grade is a crucial time to be learning programming. It's just like any other language. You have to practice it and learn it the same way. So I really wanted to go out and give back to my community and make sure that these kids are getting what they need to get started in some career fields that are really growing and rather lucrative at the same time. So talk to us about, you know, how did you identify a project and what was a project? Okay, so when you get in the, the class, you had to figure out which project was. And so I knew I wanted to do something around programming. Um, most everybody else in the class kind of got in a group and figured out um, as a whole what they wanted to do and how to hammer it out. but I was in it a year early, so I didn't really know a whole lot of my upperclassmen, so I didn't get to form a group like most other kids did, but that wasn't really an obstacle. Um, I just had to more freedom for me to do what I want to do. So I sat down and I researched. I knew that I had to make a really convincing proposal because I knew the principal at the school that I wanted to go to, 
Um, and it was a little intimidating. So I kind of overdid it. I found lots of articles and research supporting programming at a young age, talking about how in Florida, they've already started recognizing coding as a foreign language credit um, and got some standards together as to what I would be covering under the third and fifth grade standards um, for the coding that I was teaching. Put it all in a little manila envelope and went down there and pitched it to the principal. And it went really well. He was really receptive to it. Um, and it was really excited to get started. But then the scheduling kind of conflicted a little bit. Um, I couldn't drive myself. So I had to rely on either someone else to take me or some drivers to somehow take me or someone to pick me up. I was desperate to find a way over there and I never really did. But the whole process of learning through um, trying to get that project together was helpful. And I, and I eventually went with another group to the elementary school and got to teach some classes like I had wanted to. Um, and that was good to introduce them and be in that environment as an elementary school working with those kids because it helps me kind of shape what those kids are dealing with on a daily basis and what their environment looks like and how kind of dingy it is and how there's not a whole lot of creativity in a lot of other aspects. So allowing them to program on a program called Scratch, it really allowed them to branch out into their creativity. So, Absolutely. Thanks for sharing the project with us. It sounds like you have had fun teaching coding and Scratch, particularly to those elementary learners. So it sounds like there were a lot of skills, as you're describing, it sounds like there are a lot of skills, things that you learned that, you know, aren't really in a textbook anywhere. Um, sort of what we call the real world skills. Uh, share with us how you think that uh, you're better prepared as a result of this experience, not only for college, but just for life in general. Right. So going out into life, especially now that I'm approaching adulthood, I've learned that a lot more things aren't going to go your way than they will go your way. Um, and that manifests itself in a lot of things, like not being able to drive to the project that you want to drive to. So I really learned how to overcome so many obstacles and work around it and not get discouraged, which was the hardest part for me because it was something I really wanted to do. And it seemed like no matter where I turned, it was just, no, that won't work. No, this can't line up. And that was really discouraging. But I learned that that wasn't the end of it. It's not the end of the world. I can still go teach whenever I can. Um, and so I learned to overcome that feeling of everything is just falling down. Um, which happens a lot in life. So I definitely learned that skill of just kind of being okay with it and figuring out what you can do as opposed to trying to control things you can't control. Um, and that, that's definitely helped a lot. And of course, I've learned um, teaching skills and working with people from administrators down to little kids, um, working with students, trying to get coordinated um, driving happening, even though it didn't work, it still was a lot to try to branch out and talk to people in my class that I didn't necessarily know. Um, so I learned a lot of social skills and personal skills about overcoming obstacles and how to really make the best out of situations when they don't necessarily go exactly like you wanted them to. So Dustin, back to you. How in this, in this class that you teach, how are the students assessed? One of the things that I really like to happen, which is going to sound really weird, is I love for the kids to fail at something uh, because I wanted to see how they were able to handle it. Um, because a lot of the kids that would end up taking this class were ones that were looking for something to like pad their resume, 
uh, or they could put on a college application. And I would love for them to fail because that meant they were going to have to like, deal with the adversity, but that didn't mean they failed the class because they had a safety net. Um, but I had a rubric that we would use that um, there were different uh, competencies that they would need to meet, uh, whether it be their um, social skills or ability to overcome and adapt, things of that nature. That's mm-hmm. how I would assess. And their ability to uh, meet their end goal which didn't always mean that in August, if you said you would have this done by December, that you would actually have the full product by December because sometimes things happen and that's okay. So if you said that I will have, I'm just gonna make up, but this never happened, but I will have a hundred pounds of dog food donated by this date and the day happens you'll have 80. That doesn't mean you made it 80 in the class because um, I told the kids not to worry about their grade in the class. Um, I told them, uh, never ask me about your grade. If there's an issue with your grade, I'll tell you about it. But otherwise, do not ask me about grades because I don't care about grades and you shouldn't either. Um, I said, what we should care about right now is your personal uh, human development and your ability to help others. That's what we care about right now. So I, of course, was assessing in the background. Um, but I, I didn't want assessment to be a part of the class that really mattered. Um, we were doing a lot of informal assessment through discussions. Um, we were checking in on a regular basis with every kid um, just to make sure that they were in a good place. Um, and also talking with their partners in the community that, were work, that they were working with, um, seeing how that was working out for them working with an actual community leader. Um, but yeah, assessment was a lot of background information and a lot of informal assessment. Will this class continue next year? Will more students have this opportunity? It will continue, but I'm no longer teaching it. Um, I'm, I'm now teaching classes on public history and historical methodology. Um, I'm leaning on my historical background that I've been wanting to teach for a while. So um, I am, I've passed that class on to a different teacher. So it will still continue uh, just with a different instructor. And I'll, uh, right now, I think this moment history, um, understanding of historical methodology is so important. So I think that's a class that I really want to um, be in right now. That's awesome. So you're actually getting the chance to personalize your job. I am very fortunate that uh, my administrators give me the freedom that they do. Um, I'm very thankful for that, uh, that they've given me autonomy to kind of um, move in and out of different classes while I've been here. And it sounds like you're able to really, um, you have that autonomy, but they're also leveraging your skills and talents because now you've built a program and, and built capacity. Um, and now you're going to start something else. Before we invite you to share what's next for you both, let's hear your responses to our rapid response questions. So first question, who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about place-based learning? say uh, I'll give three people on that one because they wrote a book about this. Um, Tom Vanderark, Emily Labtag, and Nate McLennan of Teton Science Schools. Uh, they wrote an excellent book and have some great resources um, on place-based education. And my answer would be to talk to Dustin because he's read all those books and can give you a reading of it. And he is an amazing person to talk to anyway. So I would recommend that. Excellent. How about if you're recommending a book to our listeners, what might that book be? 
That's a really difficult question to ask a librarian, especially with <laughs> quick response. But I will say that Timeless Learning by Ira Sokol, Pam Morin, and Chad Ratliff of Albemarle County um, Schools in Virginia. Uh, excellent book about how to take a traditional uh, school structure and transform that into something better for every kid. I would recommend um, a book by like George Orwell right now, some dystopian, old dystopian novels I found to be really interesting to readdress these days um, and kind of get your brain thinking about things. All right, excellent. Last question, is there an online site resource or person that you regularly learn from? I love getting smart. Um, I like to get smart, but also the, the website Getting Smart is excellent. Uh, they actually have a whole section on place-based education and they just opened a new section on micro schools that I'm really excited to dig into. So I would say getting smart. I think that the XQ Institute has lots of great resources for getting into education and learning about what education equity is and things like that. Um, so XQ Institute and the Student Voice Organization as well, they kind of have the same um, initiatives about them. So they have lots of articles and um, webinars and meetings all the time that people can join and learn more about education. All right, excellent. Thank you both Dustin and Veronica for sharing those thoughts with us. And we will add that information to our show notes. All right, let's wrap up our conversation. What's next for both of you? What are you working on? application right now for the National Endowment for Humanities. It is for the Digital Products for the Public grant. So we're working on creating 360 degree uh, virtual reality experiences of different um, events through the history of Northeast Tennessee and adding context of why these things are important into the greater humanities discussion in America. So Veronica has been doing all of the tech work on that. Uh, we couldn't make this happen without her. Uh, but we'll be partnering with East Tennessee State University, uh, North, Western North Carolina University, and the Tennessee State Museum on uh, developing all these different experiences that hopefully we will get funded through the National Endowment for Humanities. Otherwise, we'll still be doing them because um, we think that there's so much history, whether it be the beginning of the labor movement in the South to um, the revolution, uh, the first um, independent government in America. All of that happened in Northeast Tennessee. Um, and there's so much more that we want to include so people can understand that there's more to the history of Northeast Tennessee than just frontiersmen. That that matters, that's important, but we're more than just raccoon skin caps in Northeast Tennessee and Appalachia. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dustin and Veronica. We've enjoyed our conversation about place-based learning and your work. Uh, to learn more about your work, you can visit some of the links in the show notes. We've added those resources that Dustin and Veronica shared with us. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how might your school or district support place-based learning? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season seven, episode 37. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Dustin and Veronica. Bye-bye, Dustin. Bye-bye, Veronica. Bye. Bye. Thanks again. Bye-bye. 
Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.